Hello, welcome to the 359th episode of Constructed Criticism. I am your teacher host, Mason, joined by my substitute co-host, Abe, which isn't really true. Abe's the full-time host now. I didn't think this bit through. Abe, how you doing? <laughs> I'm doing great, uh, full-time Mason. Yeah, you know, I have tenure. That's probably the joke I should have done. It's like your tenured host, Mason, with, you know, new... <laughs> you know, but yeah. sometimes the bits don't work, you know? If you're going to improv the bit near the start, right before you record every time, you want to have that, you know, off-the-cuff nature, it's just not going to hit. You know, that's fine. Yeah, I mean, head of the drama department, Mason Clark, and, <laughs> you know, underpaid yep. temp. Abe signed the truly <laughs> the most just and fair world I could ever think of. But, you know, unlike that intro, I think today's Pick 2 set review is going to be a big hit. We're going to do the Pick 2 set review. It is the classic here now at Constructed Criticism. But before we do that, we do want to read out our sponsors. We're not going to do any Always Improve Anything this week because it is Pick 2 time. Talk about all the new cards. Super excited. But we've got to make sure to give the good people at Oasis Games their love. You can go to OasisGames.com right now. And pre-order your cards for Strixhaven. That way you can have them sent out to you for when the new set drops here in about a week and a couple days from the time of this recording, April 15th. And it's going to be super exciting. Strixhaven has so many amazing cards uh, and so many weird cards I'm sure we're going to talk about here later in the show. So you can make sure to go there and pick them up and use code use code CCMTG at checkout to get uh, 15% off your first order and use code would that be good to get 4% off every order for any of our uh, more arena inclined players you can go graveviking.games.com and check them out they sell uh, individually all of the codes for things like you know bonus boosters you get out of pre-release packs or uh, you know sleeves or any cosmetics that you might be hunting for in your daily deals uh, and you're able to just pay a little bit of money uh, to, to get those from them using uh, code CCMTG at checkout gets you not one, not two, not three, but 10% off of your order. So go and uh, do that. If you're really trying to flex your school, you can probably get those sleeves, I imagine. Yeah. For reasonable prices. For what it's worth, Abe, this is why you're a substitute. It's one, two, three, four, not one, two, three, ten. I mean, the deal's so good, I'm sure no one noticed, but I mean, it's the little things. I know all the numbers of pi backwards, all the digits. <laughs> oh, you do? I don't think you're qualified to tell me that. So let's hop, though, into our Pick 2 set review. So if you're listening to the podcast for the first time, you're like, what is this Pick 2 set review? What does that mean? So we're going to talk about 10 cards today in five different categories. So if you've ever listened to another Magic podcast, they always do these top 10s. And this is what happens every time, Abe. You have a 10, a 9, a 7. They're kind of awkward. The hosts are always saying, eh, like maybe, most likely not, da 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 all this kind of stuff, or this is a card I just really like. So instead of doing that, you know, t- 10 list and then having to clarify that, and it's really awkward, we just have five categories. We'll tell you about what the category and what they mean before we talk about each two cards per category. So we're still going to have 10 cards. You're still going to get that fun experience. We can have better context for what we're thinking about and not have to worry about like, oh, it's number six. Does that mean it's like kind of good, but not really? What, what, where are we at with that? So this will give you a much better starting place. And Abe, as the new co-host of CC, I'm like, you start off with your sleepers first. And what we mean by sleepers is cards that people aren't really talking about right now that we think have a real chance to be players in the format. So, Abe, what's your first sleeper? My first sleeper is Decisive Denial. Uh, it is a blue-green instant that costs two mana, one blue and one green. And you choose one, target you control, fights target you don't control... Or counter-target non-creature spell unless the controller pays three. I think this card might be one of the most slept-on modal spells we've seen, like, in years. It, it, it seems really, really strong on both sides of the ball. Like, if you're playing against a deck where just controlling the battlefield matters a lot, this is a fight spell for you to use with your Lovestruck Beasts. If you're playing against a deck that's trying to resolve Ultimatum or something, it's just mana It's It's double phase too, right? So you just get... Both halves in your main deck if you want it. Yeah, you just put this card in your deck and it's either like instant speed fight, which is a good effect, or it's mana leak for their non-creature spell. It's like almost never dead. I couldn't imagine many decks where it is. It just does so much and it's two very flexible effects. If you build your deck to be able to use the fight, which is not that hard to do, you just need to put big creatures in your deck. It's it's really good. And with so many adventure creatures, I think you catch a lot of people in the early turns of the game where you like, just counter their adventure spell. They don't get the creature anymore. It it seems really, really well positioned, and I've seen no one talk about it. Yeah, that card's a big sleeper. I don't even... 
I, I'm sure I had to read every card to do this, so I'm sure I read it, but it, it just did not hit to me how powerful that card was when I first read it. Yeah, that seems really good. I'm, I'm really excited to play with that sort of card. That's exciting. My, <laughs> my other sleeper is uh, Blade Historian, which there's like a cycle of these. They're all rares that are like the school-like colors and four hybrid symbols of those colors. So this is a four red-white hybrid 2-3 human cleric. It says attacking creatures you control have double strike. And this doesn't seem that impressive, like, on the surface. And when I first read it, I was like, ah, oh, this is just kind of, like, too cute. It's like, you know, just a four-mana 2-3. Sure, things have double strike, but is that really good? But then, after playing Mono Red over the weekend, this card is basically, like, the red-white castable Torbrand. <laughs> That's like, funny, Yeah. It, it just turn you don't have as many of those effects that are like, oh, I'm dealing one point of damage, and now it's three points. Like, originally Torbrand and, like, Scorch Spitter were really good together in that, when they were both in standard together for the first time. But this one just says, like, now my Season Hollow Blades have double strike. Now my, you know, if I'm playing a Boros deck, all of my white creatures that normally are kind of only good because they are reasonably rated, like, now they're boosted and all of my red things are boosted. And I think in a world where we're going to see decks move more towards playing two colors than necessarily having to be monocolor as the mana gets better with this set, uh, this one could be a card that, like, defines the the top end of the aggressive of the aggressive decks, especially if they're in Boros. Yeah, it's also a good hit off Winota. Winota doesn't yeah. see a lot of play right now, but this is, this is one to hit. Yeah, it's, that's pretty huge. I... Honestly, forgot that we still live in the same time period as Winota until just now. <laughs> yeah, Win- <laughs> Winota didn't get banned. It just lost a lot of cards, and we haven't been able to make it work. But I think part of the reason I haven't been able to work is some of the payoffs just haven't quite been there. And this seems like a pretty powerful payoff to me. I mean, Lotus Cobra into your Winota attack. If you hit this thing, your Cobra's probably getting through most things your opponent has on the other side of the battlefield, especially on the play. You know, and that's kind of a pretty reasonable draw. So. I think this card has a lot of potential. It's it's dope. Yeah, it also it doesn't have the problem that most of the Winota top end cards do, where it's like kind of not great to draw independently, while still having like a pretty big punch to pack. If you just cast a bunch of random creatures and then cast this card and attack, it's still powerful. Yeah, it whereas de- like mm-hmm. drawing Angras Marauders or whatever, like that's pretty bad. <laughs> yeah, I mean functionally, like the second one of this isn't as good as the second Angras Marauder, right? But the first one's basically the same card a lot of the time right and in some ways yeah. better because like double strike allowing you to hit their creatures down and blockers first matters a little more than doing double damage in certain board states so it's not even clear that this one's a hundred percent better than the marauders and it is, it is like you said a castable card if you just curve out on them this could be like you know pretty reasonable and i, I think that deck has a lot of legs especially with this card so i'm excited we got to talk about this card yeah so what are your sleepers, Mason? So my first sleeper is, funny enough, so I had this ready, and I read an article, it was someone, uh, it was Paulo's number one card in the set, so maybe it's not as a sleeper as I thought it was, <laughs> uh, but Baleful Mastery, it's three and a black for an instant, and it has an alternate casting cost. You can pay one and a black rather than paying the mana cost. Uh, if you do, your opponent draws a card, exile target creature or planeswalker. So it's three and a black, Vraska's Contempt without the, the life gain, We've seen that see a lot of play in the past, but in the pinch, you can you know spin that one to black and basically allow them to draw a new card in exchange for killing this thing. That's probably a huge problem, and I think this is a huge get for a lot of decks. I think there are not many planeswalkers that I'm currently looking to kill, but there are enough creatures that are fairly problematic that this just being able to answer is super nice. And if I need to be able to double spell, I a lot of the times you know I'd be down to give them a card to like counter the other play, kill the play that's on the board, and things like that. And I think this is just a strong card. And it's weird because I haven't seen almost anyone talk about it, but it does seem like a kind of card that is not super impressive, doesn't get talked about during spoiler season, that ends up being like a two or three of for most of its standard life in some various decks. And it it just seems very strong to me on rate. So, Yeah, it it definitely seems like it starts to slot into the removal suites as you like, especially exiling. It's pretty pretty big yeah currently there's not too many things i think we need to really exile right away but you know being a catch-all uh for like permanent base threats is good so i i think this has a lot of hope and have you ever been like ember cleaved before when you're kind of like stuck on land and you have your triome out 
this this will help. I, I would definitely pay one to black. Your annex is exiled. You embercleaved, you know, and didn't do anything else this turn. You draw a card. I would do that yeah, exactly. a lot of times. <laughs> so. That you could catch like you could catch an ox of Agonis or like a phoenix of ash or something. There, there's a couple yeah. of escape cards that are, are see play that are definitely worth exiling. I think this card is going to see some rogues play. Maybe only a one or two of because it is like you don't want to have to make your default mode the one in the black. But having access to that sort of thing, I think is super strong. My other card is Magma Opus, which I think is also a great name. Uh, six blue red for an instant. So it's only eight mana only. But for eight mana, you get Magma Opus deals four damage divided as you choose among any number of targets. You tap two permanents. You create a four four blue and red elemental creature token. Draw two cards. And then it has a blue red hybrid, blue red hybrid. So two mana of either blue or red. Discard this card, create a treasure token. So this card, maybe there's something you can do in standard. Maybe like, you know, post Eldraine leaving, we can play some control deck, whatever. I'm more interested for this card in Historic than anything, along the side Torrential Gearhulk. Uh, I think this sort of card, as like a one or a two of, allows you to like get towards your Gearhulks and still have something that allows you to catch up in the later game as a refuel card. Currently, uh, we see some of the blue-black control decks play Mindstone. And while Mindstone lets you kind of cast your spells more regularly, I think having this as a card that actually sort of closes the door or catches you back up, you know, I think is super powerful. Imagine your opponent like Alphas, and you gear hulk, and you know, you're doing it early because you have the treasure, and you like kill one of their things, you know, tap down their whatever, and then you know, make a four for you block. Like, that's insane. You're not even using the tap ability that well, right? Use the beginning of combat, you know, like, I think this card has a lot of potential there, and I, I could actually see a world where this is standard playable and a non Eldrain world. I, I think once we lose Eldrain, the sets we have from this year have a kind of lower base power level, and if they continue on that route, this seems like a card that could see play. So, I've seen no one talk about this card at all, and it seems totally reasonable, So, especially for Historic. Yeah, I, I said it last week when we were talking about uh, Sigrid, but mm-hmm. instants are just cheaper than they look. Yeah. And, like, 8 mana is <laughs> a lot of mana, but in a world where people are, like, casting Soltai Ultimatum and stuff, like, you can you can play a Magma Opus deck, probably. It might not be good right now because, like, Mystical Dispute's legal, but... Yeah. Uh, but, like, this card is not as uncastable as it looks because casting it on, like, turn 10 when you top deck it is going to be backbreaking and casting it all is going to be really good. It, it just does so much. It's almost like a Gear Hulk plus a spell on its own. Just yeah. to pay 8 mana. And, and I think when you discard it to make a treasure, I think that'll often be a... In Historic, you're probably setting up the Gear Hulk. You know, it's probably, like, the classic, like, 4 mana, nothing to do. Like, turn 4, I'll discard this, make a treasure at the end of your turn land go i got nothing you know but like in standard you're probably like getting that wrath a turn sooner right and like that's a pretty big play dynamic where you're playing you know you're like your win condition or choice of turn earlier and that sort of stuff can be huge you know where you're even setting up to yeah. play something plus counter now because you have that extra treasure and i i think it just has a lot of potential so i'm excited to play with that one uh, our next section is mystical archive cards this one's pretty obvious we just have a whole section dedicated to the six new cards being added to historic uh historic is getting a supercharge of them and i'll take the lead here abe uh and i'll i'll give the easy ones that way you can look really cool so my first one is uh faithless looting faithless looting is red for a sorcery draw two discard two flashback for two and a red and if you don't know what flashback is because you're arena only player that's cool flashback just lets you cast the card from your graveyard and it puts a copy of it on the stack and you exile the real one so this card has defined a lot of formats and when formats are heavily on graveyard this card's a really big enabler. We don't have things like Lingering Souls to really, I think, make a lot of fair mid-rangey decks, but we've seen the Rakdos Arcanist decks exist for a little bit. And I think Faithless Looting just goes into a lot of decks, maybe cre- even create some decks in some ways. And it's just going to be... It might be... It's either this or the next card's going to be one of the most defining cards to Historic. And it does all this before we even mention Arclight Phoenix, which is everyone's favorite card. So <laughs> I have nothing else to say about Faithless in Gabe. It's just yeah, I mean, so it's, powerful. It's banned in modern for a reason. It, and and that reason you could say is dredge, but all the arguments for it to stay, like those still kind of exist in this world where there isn't dredge cards that kind of break drawing cards and discarding cards in the way that they were broken with Faithless Looting. So I'm interested to see how this plays out because it's just so good. It's in fact comparable to what I'm pretty sure your next card's going to be. My next card's Brainstorm. So, Abe, I'm going to tackle all all the controversy right now in one fail swoop. Are you ready? Yeah. Brainstorm, not as good as it is in Legacy, 
because we don't have as many enablers and our cards aren't as good. Brainstorm's still good, though. Wow, I did yeah. it. <laughs> I've done it. <laughs> Nuanced take. Can't believe you just said that on air. I know. So Brainstorm, if you haven't heard of this card before, is blue for an instant. You draw three cards, and then you put two cards in your hand back on top of your deck in any order. And so if you haven't played with this in the past, a lot of times what you're trying to do is is you'll brainstorm and then put lands where useless spells don't really matter in that matchup, like maybe some kill spells against a control deck or whatever, and then you have some sort of way to clear the top of your deck. So things that might work in Historic are like Search for Escanta, we have Fable Passage, we have uh, uh, Stormwing Entity, sorry, uh, as a way to scry two to the bottom. So you have a lot of different ways to fix the top of your deck. And for one mana, it gives you a lot there. It also gives you a lot of play against Thoughtseize decks, etc., etc., but the big thing is, and I alluded to it with looting, but I thought, like, talking about this deck kind of needs both these cards to exist. Because I think if you only had one, Arclight Phoenix couldn't be a deck in Historic. I honestly believe that just looting wouldn't be enough to push our Arclight Phoenix over the top. Uh, Arclight Phoenix used to be one of the best decks in Modern. And it has a lot of reasons for that, and a lot of that's format context dependent, and things like Thing in the Ice allowing the deck to really control the battlefield in a way that we don't see now. It has things like Lightning Bolt. It can play this, like, controlling or aggressive plan. But we have enough analogs of that in Historic that I think there's real potential for this deck to sort of take over. And these having eight one-mana cards that will sort of find your Arclight Phoenixes and enable them to go off and make your plan consistent, I think is really strong. And honestly, I think the only thing holding this deck back right now is figuring out what the backup threat is. Because it used to be Thing in the Ice uh, in Modern, and we kind of need to find that in Historic. And we have a lot of different options, and it's going to be about figuring out what's the best option for that, in my opinion. But I, I think that deck looks very, very powerful. Yeah, that's a deck that like is kind of exciting to think about because so many people loved playing the Phoenix deck in Modern. But you're right in that like it, it's kind of it, I think it's missing a little more than that. I think not having access to just in Modern like Lightning Bolt and like Lightning Axe and some Spell Pierces was like more than enough to be able to dismantle a lot of the other decks as long as you're playing Pressure. Like, that was just a good way to keep a check on a on a deck for the first, like, three or four turns of the game. But I'm not sure that it's the same in Historic. I don't know that it has the same kind of answers. And I also don't know... Yeah, what you said about Thing the Ice, like, I don't know that it has something that is a good backup plan that plays in. that You don't have to, like, find your Phoenixes to win. Uh, but, but Brainstorm is definitely a piece of that, because before your cantrips were, like, what? opt and like thrill of possibility and like Cathartic there's just mean, not man. yeah there are just not that many like good cheap cantrips so it's hard to hard to justify playing so many spells in arc light phoenixes because you couldn't get them back quickly it wasn't very man efficient to cast a bunch of like spells in one turn but between brainstorm and faithless looting i think that changes a lot and just brainstorm in general is gonna be good in so many decks like it lets you play magic in a way where like you can like for example blue white control i think is a perfect example of a deck that like secretly gets huge buffs from brainstorm because normally you're like oh like this doesn't really do much like it's obviously better than opt but how much better but when you consider that they're a deck that like relies on having oh i need to have the wrath on this turn or like in some matchups like i lose because i draw my wraths i i need to make sure i have like enough counter spells and i just have too many removal spells right now the kind of like hand sculpting that brainstorm does when your deck is built to use it well is just so strong it's like like in legacy where all of your cards are a so much better and b so much cheaper it, there are like entire articles written about how to play the card optimally because it matters so much in like all of those blue mirrors and i don't think it'll be that level of important and historic but knowing how to use brainstorm tells you just how good brainstorm is you know the fact that it yeah. can be that deep Tells you that even if it's only half as deep and half as good in any other format, it's still really, really good. Big agree there. And I, it's funny, I went, I did want to mention that, so I'm glad you mentioned it. If you haven't played with Brainstorm before, it's not going to be, I think, as hard as like, like Abe said in Legacy or something. But that card is very hard to play optimally, and don't feel bad if you like mess it up for a long time. It is not easy to Brainstorm. Also, along the Brainstorm lines of like different decks that get big buffs... There's been, like, this push to play Sultai Ultimatum recently in Historic, and it's been, like, kind of okay. I think Brainstorm's a huge get for that deck. Uh, even if you're not playing Marvel, which is kind of... I want to try and play Aetherworks Marvel with Brainstorm in this and Ultimatum so I can, like, you know, Brainstorm back my cards so I'll make sure I hit with my Marvel. Like, I think that's kind of strong and allows me to be a more consistent deck. 
But even if you're just brainstorming in that deck, making sure that you can get your ultimatums, making sure that you're like curving out and doing what you before mentioned, I think is super strong. It does fix the problem of like, my deck has to play some kind of clunkier card so that this ultimatum will win the game on the spot. Brainstorm will help me fix that. Brainstorm into a tune with Aether is hot. <laughs> that is a Splinter Twin situation. That is, that is, that is, there's so many fetch lines I didn't even consider it. That deck actually has a lot of ways to clear the top of its deck. It's kind of funny. Abe, what are your Mystical Archive picks? So, if your Mystical Archive picks are the spikiest, mine are probably, like, the least spiky. Uh, I picked... Ah, they're still pretty spiky. But I, I picked Time Warp and Mizzix Masters. I, I feel like those are pretty spiky. <laughs> I feel like I, know, I, feel like I learned a lot about you just then. <laughs> well, like, I'm not going to... I think I could have said Mind's Desire, but we'll, we'll talk Sure, about sure, that. sure, sure. Keep going. So, sorry. Time Warp uh, adds something pretty unique to the historic card pool, which is a way to take an extra turn without exiling itself and without a drawback. So this will undoubtedly be absolutely broken in my mind. I think it's going to be really difficult for like anyone to argue that rebuying time warps is not going to be a thing that if you are able to pull it off in the format is going to be really powerful. And I, I think, I think you've put out some lists as well as I've just seen other lists floating around Twitter of people who are like already preparing to kind of revive the Nexus of Fate decks, but this time maybe working a little harder for it than Nexus naturally putting itself back into the deck. They actually have to play effects that like put the time work back in their hand and like get through it all. Um, but that's a card that it's just, there's a lot of cool things you can do with it, uh, whether it be like taking a bunch of extra turns or if it's uh, just like playing it in some deck full of planeswalkers or something, it, it's just a a really good card. And then Mizzix Mastery, which is kind of like me trying to say all the storm cards at once. And if you don't know <laughs> what Mizzix Mastery is, let me make sure I get it right. I'm scrolling up to it on Mythic Spoiler. Uh, it is a three and a red sorcery that exiles target card that's an instant or sorcery from your graveyard. For each card exiled this way copy it and you may cast the copy without paying its mana cost and you exile Mizzix's Mastery. The reason it says it in this weird way is because it also has overload for 5 red 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 so 8 mana so you can pay like twice as much to get every card out of your graveyard and cast it again instead of just one and like the biggest choke for all of the storm cards that I've seen is that like there's not a lot of ways to like rip like usually in Legacy you'd see people cast like Dark Ritual uh, or in Myers, people cast like a bunch of pyretic rituals and like cheapened manamorphoses to generate enough mana and cast enough spells that they're things like Grape Shot or Tendrils of Agony or Empty the Warrens, like are like really way too good and broken, which is <laughs> which is basically the whole storm mechanic. But in historic, there aren't any ritual effects. There's not a lot of ways to cast a bunch of spells in one turn. But Mizzix Mastery actually breaks that in a way that's like I can just be a mono red deck. Maybe not monoretic, but I can be a deck that just plays some red, and my plan is to just resolve an overloaded Mizzix Mastery, or like cast a small, like a single Mizzix Mastery for like some big thing like Magma Opus in my graveyard. Uh, but maybe not exactly Magma Opus. You know what I'm saying? Exactly Magma um, Opus. It's a Splinter. Twin. Yeah, yeah. You could you could discard Magma Opus on turn two, make a token, then on turn three you sack the treasure, you tap your lands, you Mizzix Mastery the Magma Opus, boom, four mana Magma Opus. It's basically really three. strong. <laughs> yeah. But uh but this is a card that's like you have to build around having all of the things in your in your deck to make it go off. Like there's a lot of ways you can try to enable it if you like self mill and then like find ways to make a bunch of mana. I'm not sure exactly how this one gets broken yet. I just know that when I look at some of the really really like scary stuff that people were like freaking out about on Twitter from from the Mystic Archives like uh, like Tendrils of Agony, like uh, Mind's Desire, which is just banned in Legacy and like has always been like such a problem. Like I was telling my brother who doesn't play any Magic really anymore that it was getting reprinted into a format that people play competitively and he like almost spat out his drink. <laughs> like it's that level of broken. But like if you're trying to make those cards still that level of broken, Mystic Mastery feels like to me it's the answer to doing that. Yeah. Mizzix, by the way, probably benefits a lot from Faithless Looting. You can kind of yes. set up your stuff like that. Uh, that seems pretty powerful. And I agree. The The problem with those Storm cards right now is that there's no real way to consistently play a bunch of cards with cards that are actually playable. Like, 
We've seen people talk about playing Bolas at Citadel as a way to, like, cast a bunch of spells and you storm to kill them. We've seen some inspiring statuary stuff, but all these sort of decks have proven to not be strong enough as, like, fair game plans. And I think in Historic, they can't just be all in combo. The format's a little too aggressive currently. This this card fixes those problems. You know, like, when you cast this card, you will most likely win the game. Like, it is very hard to cast all the spells from your graveyard and not win. Yeah, if you build your deck right, this is just like a mono-red uh, emergent ultimatum. Yep, that's true. It just wins the game. Every time. Unless it doesn't. But, you know, it will. <laughs> <laughs> that's going to do it for the Mystical Archive cards. I'm super excited to see this sort of thing. And hopefully, you know, Tainted Pack isn't too good. That was the one card we left off our list, I think, that has a chance to really be busted. And we'll see. We will see on Tainted Pact. Anyways, on to the Lesson and Learn section. So, in Strixhaven, there's a new type of card called Lesson Cards. And what a Lesson Card is, is that there are some cards in the main set called Learn, or have the sorry the mechanic Learn. And what Learn says is, when you play it, you can grab a Lesson Card from outside the game and put it in your hand, or you can discard a card and draw a card. So, when outside the game, in competitive formats means on our sideboard, basically, we have these series of cards that we can put in our main deck that let us tutor up an answer from our sideboard or maybe a threat or something. So it's a pretty exciting mechanic and Abe and I picked one lesson and one learn card each. And Abe, what is your first learn card? So my learn card is Gnarled Professor uh, which is a 4 mana 5-4 Trampler. And when it enters the battlefield, learns. Uh, And my Lesson card is Confront the Past. What is Confront the Past? Confront the Past is... I think it was one of the first lessons uh, previewed. It's Black X Sorcery. Obviously, it's a lesson. And you choose one. You return target Planeswalker card with mana value X or less from your graveyard to the battlefield. Or you remove twice X loyalty counters from target Planeswalker and opponent controls. It's either the, like, I need an Elder Spell and I need it quick... Uh, like lesson you can have where you you play your learn card, grab this thing, and you can kill their planeswalker with it for pretty cheap. Uh, or it's like I just kind of need some value, and then you like play your learn card, get this card that is also just a planeswalker out of your graveyard. So it's like you actually just learned for like your professor onyx or or whatever. Okay, that's that's pretty powerful. Uh, I, I like Normal Professor a lot. That was one of the cards I thought about putting as my learn card. The Professor kind of just like I think the trick to the 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 lesson card, sorry, the learn cards. It's it got so mixed up in my head. But the learn cards, I think, is that they need to be close to playable on their own. Because even yeah. though the the lessons that we have in the set for the most part don't seem super versatile and super powerful, they're all kind of overcosted versions of effects for the most part. I think the ones I'll see the most play are things like Confront the Past that are modal and answer spells. So there are some things we want to grab, but I think we want to make sure that if we're putting a uh, learn card in our deck, it's like pretty strong on its own. Uh, unless the format kind of warps in some crazy way. But I don't think it's going to do that from this, which is pretty exciting because we were a little worried a couple weeks ago when we talked about the podcast. Yeah, I was definitely, there was like some doom and gloom scenarios in my head about like how some some learn card was just going to be like, uh, like a good removal spell at like a reasonable rate. Like we we're gonna have like, like two mana deal three damage target creature as a as a lesson that you learned, and it was just gonna be miserable. It was gonna be like stomp in reverse when you played gnarled professor. You just go get your removal spell after you play your good threat. But yeah, gnarled like a five power trampling creature for four mana is right around the ballpark for what you want. You're like probably nowadays probably your worst like four drop to be. Like a four mana five four trample draw card, but uh, you know within my what I consider recent memory, like that's also just a good stat line on its own, and the fact that it has any upside is is pretty big. Yep, big agree. My learn card is sparring regimen. So it's tuna white for an enchantment. When sparring your regiment in the battlefield, you learn, and then whenever you attack, put a plus one plus one counter on target attacking creature and untap it before we even go to the learn card here i think this card is pretty close to playable without learning which has me pretty excited i think the white decks like to move counters around those cards like star people which we won't talk about today that really benefit from having counters we've seen some past cards have counter synergy and i think this one 
really allows you to beat down and still be able to defend in these sort of creature-heavy matchups we're seeing a lot of standard. And so I think this card has a really good chance to see play. And the lesson that I think goes best with it, and I think maybe just in general, actually, is start from scratch. So it's two and a red for a sorcery lesson, and you choose one. You deal one damage to any target, or you destroy a target artifact. Um, I think a lot of the times, you wish you could have a shatter in your main deck, and artifact decks kind of often prey on this fact, right? We see things like the Great Henge be really hard to answer, same for Embercleave. And start from scratch lets you just have an answer to those sort of cards if you're already playing a learn card. And then you also have the ability for this thing to be uh, ping, which isn't the greatest effect in the world, but there are plenty of times where I wish I could ping down, you know, uh, a hollow blade. So, like, yeah, she's not one. Yeah, I wish I could tap that thing, you know, and like this is a matchup, a card in that sort of matchup where I'd win it either way. So I think Start From Scratch has some real potential to be one of the better lesson cards in the set. Yeah, it, it's interesting because it looks like a card where it's like, man, this is like, it feels kind of overcosted. We think about it as like three mana to deal one damage or destroy an artifact, but like I imagine this was one where they had to tune it a lot and they probably like wanted it at a lower number, but it was too good because I imagine there's some amount of artifacts that with how many random disenchants there are in this set, I imagine there's some artifacts that are coming down the line that we're gonna <laughs> we're gonna have to deal with, or it's just a response to how good the Eldrin artifacts have been. Yeah, I, I think often the Eldrin artifacts are really playing into that and they're just wanting to make sure for the future we're safe and yeah i think it's just kind of a, a pretty reasonable card and I'm, I'm happy it's not one to red i think at one to red it'd actually be like very good it'd be one of those yeah, things where it's yeah. kind of like, it would feel pushed right yeah it's like <laughs> be really strong i would like maybe main deck it you know like in yeah you could also just board. play it you could also just play it in like sideboards where normally you'd play like some other marginal shatter because this one you could at least just ping someone with yeah agreed all right, well, that's going to move us on to our hopeful section. So the hopeful cards are ones that we're that we are not 100% sure are going to see play. They're not kind of like sleepers where it seems pretty like like weird no one's talking about it. But these are cards that we kind of hope are going to make an impact on the format. We kind of hope are going to see play. Maybe we're even a little excited to play with. And my first one is Velamok of Lorehold. I believe it's how you say it, or Velamokis. It's five red-white for a legendary creature, Elder Dragon. Flying Vigilance Haste 5-5, five, five. and when this creature attacks, look at the top seven cards of your library. You may cast an instant or sorcery spell with converted mana cost less than or equal to this creature's power from among them, and cast it without paying its mana cost. Put the rest of the cards on the bottom of your deck in a random order. So, Velomachus here, I think is good friends with our homie Faithless Looting from earlier in formats like that. We have, like, unburial rights to bring this thing back. I think that's super strong. That seems pretty powerful. But in standard, I think... It's a little too expensive right now, but I think once we lose some of the power from Eldraine or the format slows down a bit, this sort of card is very powerful and can take over the game, assuming you have enough hits in your deck. And it really is more of a card that's, in my mind, for reanimating more than anything. And we have a couple cards in this set that actually allow us to reanimate uh, that we'll probably talk about later on in the show that might be really good with this. So I did not realize this card has Vigilance. I knew it had flying and haste, but I didn't realize it just got to poke and didn't have to like send the full swing. This card's so much better than I thought it was. I hope it's good too. I think yeah. it's like there's a, there's a lot of things I like about it. It reminds me of uh, the original Narset creature from oh, Turkier. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It does kind of remind me of that too. I wonder if there are any uh, like in historical, there are any extra combat cards. Um. I believe the only one that I can remember is Combat Celebrant. Um, okay. With Godfarer's Gift. Know, there's Time Warp. Yeah, so that, that that that's the trick in there is Time Warp, is you take another turn with this and Faithless Looting and Brainstorm, and the, the joke is, you know, you like Unburial right to this back after looting those two cards away, right? And then maybe you can even Brainstorm to make sure you Time Warp or whatnot uh, if you need to on that sort of thing, but I think that's kind of strong. I also think Gate to the Afterlife. Um, well, I guess it's Godfarer's Gift, but that's a way to get this card in the graveyard and then bring it back. And then obviously that deck plays a bunch of creatures, but if you had some big spell you wanted to hit, this sort of card will enable that. And so I think Velomachus is very strong and is a card that has a lot of potential to be really good. And it looks like one of the better reanimator targets we've seen uh, for standard legal sets in a while, in my opinion. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. The other uh, hopeful card I have is, <laughs> these names are so hard to say by the way Mavida 
the student's advocate. It's Tuna White for a legendary creature, Bird Advisor. Uh, it's a flying 2-3. And for zero mana, you make uh, cast target instant or sorcery spell from your graveyard this turn. If the spell doesn't target a creature you control, it costs 8 more to cast it this way. Uh, spells cast this way are exiled instead of uh, put into the graveyard. You can only use this ability once per turn. So Mavda, or Mavinda, how you say it, uh, basically allows you to cast spells that target your own homies for no additional cost once per turn. And I think that this card, the the extra eight makes me think that there's probably some messed up stuff we could do. And they were like, okay, well, let's try to make sure that messed up, like the really messed up stuff doesn't happen anymore by adding eight to it. Just being able to reuse your spells a couple of times, I think is potentially very powerful in standard. And there aren't a whole lot of cards, I think, off the top of my head go right with this. But some of the ones that jump out to me are actually some of the cards you mentioned earlier in the set, Abe, like the fight spell uh, Decisive Denial. Uh, I think that is one that, you know, it targets your creature and it hits theirs. And so, like, this is a way to, like, get around the, like, hey, I can't use interaction by having that sort of thing. Like, Reckless Rage is one in Historic that comes to mind. So, effects like that, I think, are potentially really strong with this card. And I'm excited to sort of explore that range of things. Yeah, it's definitely, like, Feather's best friend. It's another card that just plays well if you have, like, uh, Defiant Strikes to get rid of uh to just like draw more cards or you know protect your things with just the one god's willing you draw or whatever yeah uh, which is also in historic now <laughs> i i don't know if it was yeah. before but it, it is now it was in one of the core sets. oh been, yeah yeah but I, yeah. I think they probably just didn't want you to like be able to target your removal spell and then yeah like they, to start <laughs> they didn't want to make uh what's the grixis card kess Oh yeah, uh, the, the cast mage. Like white mono white cast. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, but, but luckily there are cards that, you know, like if if your deck has, you know, bulky enough creatures, which in theory, you know, the pump cells might allow, this will allow you to uh you know, have fight spells which will be kill spells. And I believe, let me double check real quick before I say this here. Yeah, you can do this on either turn. So if you have protection spells, like Karametra's Blessing and stuff like that then, you know, Mavinda uh, will allow you to do that on their turn. So you're kind of blanking some of their removal too. So I think this card has a little bit more potential than people are giving it credit for. I don't think it's, like, insanely powerful, but I think it has a pretty good shot. It, it's one of those cards where, like, if it's good, it'll be really good. Like, it can have its own archetype kind of existing mm -hmm. around it as the centerpiece in the same way that Feather did during War of the Spark. Uh, and if that happens, it'd be sweet. I think decks like that are super fun and super cool. You get to play a bunch of cards that normally don't, like, they're not up to snuff because they're a little weak or vulnerable, but, like, one card like this really ties it all together, and and the gameplay from that is just really cool. Yep. Big agree there. Well, what's your first hopeful? Uh, my first card I'm hopeful for is... Quandrix Command, which actually does play well with uh, with Mavinda, but Quandrix Command is the blue and green command from the cycle of commands we get in the set, which I feel like people just forgot was happening, kind of. I know it was like one of the first things we learned about the set was that there were enemy-colored commands to like finish that cycle, and then I think a lot of people were underwhelmed, but this one is uh, one blue and a green, so it's three mana. Choose two. Return target creature or planeswalker to its owner's hand. Counter target artifact or enchantment spell. Put two plus one plus one counters on target creature. And target player shuffles up to three car target cards from their graveyard into their library. So I would really love for this card to be playable because I think that the gameplay of being able to say, like, like, like be tempo-y and play at instant speed and, like, play this as a combat trick that, like, bounces bounces my opponent's creature and grows mine or like, you know, counters, I don't know, countering the great henge and like bouncing some expensive creature is like the dream, right? Mm -hmm. You just leave up three mana and then you get to undo two whole turns of your opponent's development. Uh, like this card already ruins Embercleave because you can, you can set it up in a similar way. Um, I've learned something about big about us. You said your dream is like, you know, you're like, you counter their Great Hinge and you unsummon their thing. And my dream is like, I counter their Great Hinge and I shuffle three Time Walks back into my deck. And I go... <laughs> oh, I mean, that's, you're dreaming way bigger. But uh, but I just... I, I like cards like this that play well in combat. It, it feels reminiscent, but obviously not as good as Dromoka's Command was in the first part of the multicolored uh, cycle. Mm -hmm. 
But I, I think just all of these commands across the board are just are worse than the Dragons of Tarkir commands. But they still uh, seem kind of good. Like I, I think the black green one is like also quite good. Yeah, I think the black green one's pretty good. I've seen some people say that they think the blue red one's good. I don't feel the same. But if if there's one I really want to be good, it's the blue green one because I I just really am a sucker for like playable pump spells in constructed because when you like win with them or like you get to use them that way, it's really cool. And there's like a bunch of random on top of like the default mode, quote unquote, which is like put two counters on my thing, bounce your thing and attack. Uh, there's like a lot of cool random value you can get, like shuffle in your escape cards uh, or like counter your artifact, random artifact or enchantment. It it just has a lot of utility on top of being a card that uh, is good in a, in a pretty fun style of gameplay. Yeah, I super agree with that. Well, what, what's your other hopeful card? My other hopeful card is uh, Damagoth Titan. <laughs> are you are you familiar? Oh, I am Damagoth familiar Titan. with with the thick Titan. <laughs> yeah, so Damagoth Titan is uh, four black green hybrid symbols to cast. It is a creature type demon. It is an 11-10. That's like the biggest part of the card to know. Uh, and whenever it attacks or blocks, you sacrifice a creature. I'm not sure what to do with this card, but I know a lot of things I want to do with the card. Like, I want to fling this card at people. <laughs> like, we're doing it kind of right now in standard with the Goldspan Dragon Fury decks, but no, 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 no. I want to sit around and do, like, nothing. Like, almost all of the game. <laughs> like, I want to play, like, green-black no-win-con adventures with Bone Crusher Giant. And they'll be like, huh, is Bone Crusher Giant really that good when you have all this removal and murderous rider? What a ding-dong. And then, wham! I play my 11-10, and I just fling it at their face. That would be the perfect scenario to me. It also, it's really good with the Great Henge. Are they really going to kill it? You're going to have to sacrifice creatures to attack the block with it. What's it doing? Boom. Henge time, brother. It's so sick that it's just so big. And that's like all of the text that I just, I hope that a creature being this big is is good. <laughs> like That's fair. That's fair. I, I, it is super, it's a super cool card. Super big. And yeah, I, I want to fling it or unleash Fury at, you know, like, hit it for 22. Uh-huh. Just getting the old red zone. The only thing I can think of along with this card, as long as like a, a combo that isn't flinging, is there's that new black-green spell where you sacrifice a creature and then you make 1-1 one, one bug insects equal to its power. And uh, when the bugs die, you gain a life. So you can make 11 isn't, of those. <laughs> isn't this just fling but with extra steps? No, 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 no. This one counters <laughs> their kill spell. They're like, uh, they're like kill yeah. your Dagobah's Titan. And you're like, aha, separate my pretties, and then you have 11 bugs in the ground. That, you uh, attack with the Dagomoth Titan. They respond They respond to the trigger by trying to kill it. Boom. 10 one ones and a life. That's It's over. Yeah. How are they going to be 10 one ones? It's, more, it's, so, it's so many. I don't know. Yeah, I don't know what you're supposed to do with this card, but it's really cool. Yeah, it's just so big. Like, I, it just has to. It has to do something. There are gonna be times I'm gonna lose because it's big, and my opponent starts to attack. Right? Like, if I just don't have removal, can I ever tap out against this card reliably? Probably not. <laughs> like, <laughs> it's so big. <laughs> That's fair. Well, what's what's your hit for the your first hit? They said Abe and hits. You know, in case you didn't get the messages, the cards you think are gonna be players from the standards ones that we think will actually make an impact and these are the kind of cards that like keep an eye out for they're gonna make a they're gonna make waves uh so my hits are actually both black white cards i think that uh orzov got i guess what silver quill got the best of the bunch in this set but mine are vanishing verse and silver quill silencer which are both really alliterative which i which are bonuses but the cards are really good so Vanishing Verse is a black-white instant. It's a two-mana exile target monocolored permanent, which just makes it, like, the most premium removal spell in the format, probably. It just answers any problem for two-mana that I can nice. think of in the format outside of, I guess, anything in the new set. 
But there's really just not many multicolored cards being played because there haven't been many multicolored cards in the format for a while. That's true. Like, even with with Emergent Ultimatum, they don't play as many, like, multicolored threats anymore. And, and this just answers anything. It answers Planeswalkers, it answers Creatures, it answers, you know, equipment. Yeah, Jorion's the only it, creature I can that they can't Yeah, I guess the companions are, are it. Mm-hmm. But anything else, and this is like the perfect answer for two mana, just extremely efficient. I would be surprised if the card didn't just see a bunch of play. Uh, Abe, I'm sorry. I just had a brain blast mid-episode. You ready for this? Lessons and learns are companion backwards. You can continue. <laughs> see, I always thought of it as uh, as lesson and learn are adventures backwards. Oh, different strokes for different I think, folks. I think we're both on, on something here. <laughs> we're definitely we're both on story. one, that's for sure. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah so so if, I, if I don't need to talk more, I don't think I need to talk more about just premium Doomblade action. <laughs> yeah. Being, being a hit. Kills but good. Silver Quill Silencer is like, it's like Meddling Mage, but it's a Punisher effect instead of just saying you can't cast your cards. It's a black, white, 3-2 human cleric uh, for two mana, a black and a white. Uh, as it enters the battlefield, you choose a non-land card name, and then whenever an opponent casts a spell with the chosen name, they lose three life and you draw a card. So no matter what, if you're like trying to play around like a Wrath or like some removal spell, like you can just name Heartless Act with this, and then when they have to Heartless Act your creature... They're going to take three from it, and you're going to draw a card. So this will replace itself plus some. And this card is, like, so good that I think it will probably see play in the Modern Humans deck. Like, it just... This and Paulo's card, which I think neither of us... Unfortunately, uh, we both missed it, but that card is dope. Yeah. Like, they just kind of are introducing a level of complexity and interaction for white that I don't think we've seen in a really, really long time, like naming cards and then like effects when you cast them or like taking cards out of their hand and taxing them specifically are both just such powerful effects and play the game in such a way that is so different than how standard has felt like it's been played and how it's been designed for uh, like the better part of a few years now. Um, That it's really exciting to me. And I think this card is really like pushing the limits as a two mana, three, two, in an aggressive like creature type of human that also just has this added effect when you play against like you know, you can just name Lovestruck Beast and your opponent casts Heart Desire on turn one, and then if they want to play their Lovestruck Beast, you get to draw a card, which is really good, and they take three, which is also really good. So, you know, naming naming Stomp, naming Heartless Act, naming uh Shadows Verdict, like all of these are, are things that are good things to do with a card like this. Or if there are any combo decks, you play this card in Historic, you can just name their combo piece, and then suddenly they're under even more pressure. That's kind of life they just never get to have access to. Does it, does it count copies as well? Uh, no, it is only when you cast the spell with gotcha. the chosen name. You can't just put it on Tendrils of Agony. And yeah, I was going to say, it, it, yeah, it's going to mess up the Storm cards. That's fine. But okay. like, I, you could put it on Time Warp, right? And then... They just have to answer it before uh, before they take all the turns. Big eerie there. I, I think it also has place in Pioneer Humans. I know you mentioned Modern, but the Pioneer Human deck is kind of predominantly black-white uh, right now, and a little bit lower to the ground, so I think this card fits great in there as well. I agree. This was a card I always had in my hits as well, and I, I think this card is really powerful, not getting a lot of love, which is kind of weird, and it, its fail rate is normally like replace itself, they take three. Right, like if you play this on turn, like your turn two when your opponent has a one and a red up, and your hand just like dictates you play something, and you name stomp. If they don't have stomp now, right, then you get to keep your homie, which is great. And they do end up stomping it. Well, it cycled and bolted them, which isn't great, but you know it was better than playing some other thing that just died. You know, and maybe later they draw stomp and they really want to have to use it, but now you've done enough damage thanks to having this early three two to hurt them. So I really like this card. I think it's great. Yeah, I think. I hope that standard beat is a place where this is good, and if it's not now, I imagine. But but what are your hits? So my first hit is Leonin Lightscribe, one a white creature cat cleric two two with Magecraft. Whenever you cast or copy an instant or sorcery spell, creatures you control get plus one plus one until end of turn. So this card I think is actually really good in the Naya Adventures deck that we've been seeing recently, like the Toski deck. Um, 
that deck doesn't actually play that many instant and sorcery cards at their face value, but it plays a lot of adventure cards. And so we see it playing Lovestruck Beast, a Bonecrusher Giant. We've seen Fairy Guidemother get picked up, Giant Killer. And I think having one or two of this allows you to have that Fellow Dar Retreat that we saw the deck want to play before as a way to anthem up our team and have our really go wide strategy live, but allows you to have a curve play that does the same thing. So now when you play like Clarion Spade on two, and then you play this into like Heart's Desire, now you've got a real board and that's all happening on turn three. And it just is so much less clunkier and fits the deck way better. So I think this card has been super slept on, but it's such an easy slot into an already powerful deck. And does something the deck really wants, which is to, you know, kill your opponent a little bit quicker when you need to. And you need a failed retreat before, but now you have this. Yeah, for sure. And I also think that that's another deck where we could see some of the learn cards start to come in, and that just gives you access to more instant sorceries to trigger an effect like this. Yeah. Big, big facts there. That deck definitely has a need for getting certain things answered and also just has a bunch of mana. So having maybe, you know, like the plus one, plus one learn enchantment or, you know, just one of the random body cards might actually be pretty good in that deck. Um, I, I think that card has potential elsewhere as well, but I think it easily slots into the Naya deck and its potential to do other things is pretty good. The other hit is, the front half at least, is Mila Crafty Companion. It's one white, white for a legendary creature, Fox, two, three. And it has whenever an opponent attacks one or more Planeswalker you control, put a loyalty count on each Planeswalker you control. And then whenever a permanent control becomes the target of a spell or ability an opponent controls, you may draw a card. So before we talk about the back half, I think uh, Mila the Crafting Companion is just kind of like a pretty reasonable body and a pretty reasonable effect. Uh, you know, obviously what some more Planeswalkers, which we don't have a lot of right now uh, in standard decks, and specifically white ones either, but... The you know if something's gonna die to a kill spell you gain to draw a card effect I think it's nice and we've seen cards like that be played before and the back half of this card is Luca the Wayward uh, Bonder so for four red red you get Luca with five loyalty it has a plus one you may discard a card if you do draw a card if a creature was discarded this way draw two cards instead it's minus two is return target creature card from your graveyard to the battlefield it gains haste exile it at the beginning of your next end step. And then minus seven, you get an emblem with whatever creature enters the battlefield under your control. It deals damage equal to its power to any target. So I think the Mila body, I think there's a pretty good chance for like a red-white aggressive deck to be playable. And I would play one or two Milas because I would also like to have one or two Lucas for if the game goes long to bring some stuff back and kind of churn through my deck. And the Mila will allow me to kind of, you know, beat spot removal. Things like Stomp, which are kind of being oppressive before. Mila doesn't die to that. Milo will make it so we churn through our deck more. And I think there's also potential for the Luca back half to be like that reanimator thing that we talked about with uh, Velomachus, I believe is how you say it. Once again, crazy set yeah. name. But yeah, I think this card just has a lot of potential. And I think it's secretly one of the stronger cards of the set that's not getting a lot of love and easily could have been a nail hit for the sleeper set. But I think I think it's just a little too uh, mythic-y to be a sleeper. <laughs> but Yeah, I think that... There's, like, an issue that white will start to have now, as as I already feel, where, like, there's so many good white creatures that cost three mana that it's hard to fit them all in the deck, but there are so few good things for white to do in the late game that, like, really matter to the point where you can argue that you would play in a Boros deck, like, you play Mila and Luka, as, like, I want, like, two copies of Luka, but Mila is also just really good. Yep. Like, if I'm playing a deck that has a bunch of removal in it, I can just run out Mila on three, and then I'm going to get a card out of it and the removal spell. So, like, I can save my... Like, my Redain that I want for their Shadows Verdict the next turn, I can play my Mila and then play my Redain the following turn. Or, in the late game, I can just play my Luka and then either, like, turn my kind of bad, like, late-game creature draws, like my... Uh, selfless saviors or whatever red creatures you play that are not that great on turn eight uh into two cards which is you know a lot better or uh or i can get back you know my halvar and throw a maul on it or something yeah or like you know how it triggered the mauled up creature or whatnot and in the ultimate it's like that that's the one that will win the game and it's something that you just kind of get to have with your mila and so I agree with everything you said there. I think this card's just going to see a lot of play. Um, the white decks are showing me pretty good. We saw the Skull decks be pretty good in the past. And we have the uh, new dual land cycle 
um, which we, we don't put lands in the hit because it'd be kind of a cop-out. Um, but, you know, red-white got a new duel, so maybe that sort of deck that we saw at the beginning of this last format has a chance to come back, and Luka probably plays a pretty big part of that format. Yeah, I think that having access to, like, they're not the best lands. I forget. I think because of the fact that we also had fast lands when these lands were printed the first time around with Shadows mm-hmm. over in Estrad, uh, they kind of didn't see much play. There was just, you're playing a lot of non-basics. And pathways are similar. You probably won't see these show up too much in your three-color mana bases. But in your two-color mana bases, for sure, I think that they're going to be big players. Especially as the snow stuff is like, seeing play at the same time. There's like an all-time high of basics. And a lot of the two-color mana bases were really, really bad before this. Big agree. Even with just pathways. Because there's not many playable, like, actual lands that tap for two colors. But... I think these ones could make a, especially just two color enemy color decks viable in a way that they just weren't before. And cards like this, I think their success is contingent upon that being supported. Big agree. Aid, I think that's going to do it for our pick two set review. Do you have any thoughts on Strixhaven before we kind of close the show today? You know, it's going to be about a weekish before we get to play these cards. Thanks to the weird release schedule of everything. We kind of knew them all a week ahead of time. My thoughts are the set's kind of, like, weird and wordy and a lot of things that could be really strong that could also just not do anything for a long time. Yeah, when I was... I remember we were talking about it last night, and I was like, all right, we have our pick two categories. I'm going to go start picking. And then within, like, 15 minutes, I was messing with you. I was like, why is this set so bad? Like, why is it so weak? But after, like, spending more time looking at it and reading the cards and, like, understanding them and, and kind of how I think the cards are all going to play with each other. I am pretty optimistic that if we stay around this, this power level, that magic will continue to be really fun and it will be less about doing the most powerful things on rate and start being more about doing things that are synergistic or, you know, single card, uh, single card engines or, or there's like a lot of these expensive dragons and stuff that, you know, you play to those themes and you get rewarded when you draw your Mythic Rare, which is, like, I think good to have. And I think it just signals a kind of shift in in direction for what this year of Magic is going to look like. And that is something we're not going to see immediately. But when we stop seeing, like, what Eldraine looks like for Magic nearly as much, I think that uh, I think that this will be a set where we're like, oh, yeah, there's a lot of really, really cool things here. Whether or not they shine immediately is tough to say, but there's like plenty of cards here where I'm like, yeah, I, I could see playing that in modern. I could see worlds where this is good enough for standard. And that's even including cards I didn't mention where I'm like, you know, like that's not really exciting because there's other things in the format that are that good. But in the absence of those, this card could be really exciting. And so it's really going to depend on what, you know, the next two sets look like. But I think a lot of people are kind of writing the set off as a a little bit of a dud or a little weird. The cards are all, like, kind of complicated. Uh, and they all kind of seem like they cost too much or aren't that, like, competitive. But, uh, you know, it, it, Magic's a game about context. When you look at formats, it's about the cards surrounding the other cards. Like, a 2-2 two, two in one format for, for one mana is totally different than a 2-2 two, two for one mana in another format because of all the cards that uh, that exist around it. So it's uh, it'll be interesting to see how this one exists, but I think if this is what every set was is going to look like for the next like 12 months, I think Magic's going to be really awesome and really fun and really cool, and a lot of awesome things are going to happen. And uh, I'm actually pretty optimistic about it, despite starting out on a place where I was like, uh, well which one of these am I supposed to ever play again? Like, I'm just not going to care about this set. Yeah, I, I agree with all that. Well, thank you all so much for hanging out for the Pick 2 set review. We'll be back with a normal episode next week. And if you want to support the show, you can go to patreon.com slash ccmtg and you want to patron the show. If someone wants to find you to tweet about how you picked just the kill spells for your hits, where do they go? <laughs> uh, they can go to twitter.com slash more nothings. And please feel free to hit me with your Pick 2s. I'd love to see a bunch of pick two lists in my replies. I think it'd be awesome. 
Agree. How about you, Mason? Where, where can they find you? You can find me on Twitter at Mason E. Clark. You can find me on twitch.tv slash the Mason Clark. You can find me on Card Kingdom each and every Thursday talking about predominantly standard. And I think this week I'm talking about five of the most impactful cards for Eld- uh, sorry for <laughs> Strixhaven uh, in the set. So we have some more to talk about. I've got a couple on the list. I've got the article roughed out that we didn't even talk about today. So you have to check out that if you want to hear all the thoughts. So Thank you all so much for hanging out with us today. We'll see you all next week for another episode of Constructed Criticism. Thank you.